0: Hi, I'm Jackie Miller, Certified Divorce Coach and Divorce Transition and Recovery Coach, as well as the host of Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. This episode is dedicated to the topic of financial abuse. Financial abuse is a very serious form of domestic violence that is present in every socioeconomic level of society domestic violence is all about the abuser having power and control over their victim and financial abuse is just that 99 percent of domestic violence cases have financial abuse involved and it is the number one reason victims return to their abuser or are unable to leave an abusive relationship more often than not financial abuse is also a factor in high conflict divorce cases I talk with Kim Pentico, the Director of Economic Justice for the National Network to end domestic violence about this serious issue, so we can both raise awareness around this type of domestic violence and give victims resources that may help them in this type of situation. Thank you for listening. Hello, Kim Pentico. Thank you so much for joining me today on Out of Crazy Town, Your Guide to Divorcing a Narcissist. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Thank you. Um, I just want to tell everybody a little bit about who you are and um, first let them know that you are the Director of Economic Justice for the National Network to End Domestic Violence, or the NNEDV. Uh, You've been working with and on behalf of survivors of sexual and domestic violence since 1990. You first spent over seven years working for a local domestic violence program in Kansas, and another seven years at the Kansas Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence. Um, You have worked for the STOP Technical Technical Assistance Project in Washington, D.C., also to ensure and enhance survivor access to economic justice and long-term safety. So I'm wondering, Kim, if you could tell a little bit from your personal story, how did you end up here in this role? Yeah.
1: I I mean, it certainly wasn't a trajectory I saw for myself. My your year of high school. Um, So I went to uh, school, to college, um, and I knew I wanted to be a social worker. My mother was a social worker. And so I thought that always had to do with kids. And uh, that was sort of my uh, my narrow view of, of social working. Uh, my sophomore year of college, uh, I was taking my social work classes and we had to do volunteer work at a local, uh, we had to do volunteer work locally. I was also happened to take women's studies at that time. And so uh, they had different not-for-profits come in and present on where you could possibly do your volunteer work and somebody came in to, that would represent a local domestic violence shelter. And it was something I'd never considered. And so I thought, well, let me do that. Sounds really interesting. So I ended up volunteering there and during the volunteer training, I'm here hearing, you know, all these stories about violence against women, and then I'm taking women's studies course, and it, like, two worlds collided. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, oh, this is, this is systemic. Right. This is gender-based violence. And it's, and so that was just clicked for me, and all, lots of other things that in my childhood, like, made sense all of a sudden, too. Like, it wasn't this one, I wasn't, it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because of my mother. It was because of this society
0: setup, right? And, um and I was hooked. So I've been doing it since I was 19. Wow. That's incredible. And I am share yeah. your passion. I'm so glad you're here today because I cannot impress enough upon people how important and understanding financial abuse is. And I, I know one of the statistics, and pardon me as I keep looking up and down and referring to notes because there's so much information I want to go, yeah. but 78% of Americans do not recognize financial abuse as a form of domestic violence. Um, so with that being said, would you explain in your words, what financial abuse is?
1: Yeah. So financial abuse can be everything think it's obvious as going and stealing money out of my wallet to opening up a line of credit under my name I didn't realize, making me afraid to ask about family finances. So really subtle and uh, also covert and overt. So it, it's, it runs the gamut. First of all, it is a form of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So if you know or are familiar with the power and control wheel that many of us who do this work talk about the power and control wheel, which are these different sort of categories of abuse, one entire spoke of this wheel is dedicated to financial abuse. we know that it occurs in about 99% of all domestic violence cases. Mm-hmm. So it is a form of that violence. And it's often what we hear from survivors is what's keeping them trapped in those relationships. Sure. So there may never
0: be physical violence, right? but right. there's fear. And I, uh, along those lines, you said something about um, can be subtle or covert or overt. I love to use the analogy of the frog in boiling water. If you put a frog in boiling water, it will jump out. If you put it in at room temperature and slowly turn up the heat, it will boil to death. So I've noticed in speaking with women and some of my 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 clients and my divorce coaching that that's exactly what happens. It's very, it'll settle. It's sort of, um, is a slow manipulation until they end up in a position where they're like, how, why do I not know about my finances? As you said, why am I scared? I'm um, to get to this spot. And also, if you could speak to this, it doesn't have to be physical violence, as you said, but it's financial violence mixed in with the others, other mm-hmm. kinds of abuse mm-hmm. to ultimately have manipulation over the victim. So how yeah. an abuser use sort of multiple, forms of abuse in addition so
1: yeah so two things i think i want to make sure we also talk about the fact that you know it's also sort of really tied into gender roles you know it's not uncommon in sort of traditional marriage for men to manage the money or to handle that that's sort of historically what's been passed down to us so it is sort of undoing some of that too which is you just oh i don't want to think about it i let my husband do that i let somebody else manage that Mm -hmm. so it's also playing into those sort of traditional roles in a lot of ways i think as women too we sort of. Sort of, um, Kind of do this. Oh, I'm not good at math things, so I just let him deal with it, which is really kind of a cop out. <laughs> and we need to stop accepting that. We need to stop telling our daughters we're not good at math. We need to start out, throw that stuff away, yes. um, because the reality is we deal with money every day. So there's there's that piece. Um, so the other ways that we see financial abuse also sort of entangled into all the other stuff. Uh, and a good example would be, uh, and this is a true story. Where a survivor reported she needed a new sm- smartphones a-, a smartphone, and so her uh, a partner who was abusive convinced to take out a two-year lease on it to get a phone but get a two-year lease on it the first argument they got into he took the phone and smashed it so he used so he smashed it in front of her it's very intimidating right but now she's got a two-year lease so she has to she can't afford two phones so she had to quickly decide to go out and get a new phone and stop paying on the old phone and get turned into collections for the old phone she had to have a phone she had a kid with special needs that was how she communicated with all the providers it got turned into collections collections is what kept her from safe housing Because she had it turned in. So this ripple effect, you call law enforcement, you say, he smashed my cell phone. They don't really care. Right. But they don't understand the ripple effect that now this getting turned to collections. Actually, so we're so mad at survivors because they don't leave. You're being hurt. Why wouldn't you leave? And go where? I've ruined credit. I have no cash or money of my own. I have a community that doesn't want to
0: hear what I'm really dealing with. Mm -hmm. Um, Housing wait lists, two and five years long. The where? Right. Right, and I think also in the context of divorce, I know of many healthy marriages or relationships where you do divide and conquer roles, like I'll take care of the kids and you take care of the finances. Um, But again, if I can impress upon anyone listening out there, whether you're listening for yourself or a friend, try to get to know your finances and what is going on. It's not only empowering, but if something happened to the person in your relationship that's taking care of the finances, you would know what's going on. But it's so scary when someone is deliberately kept all that information from you. And as you've stated, it's the reason people stay in the relationship because they're like, I, I don't know where to go i have a um, client also who filed for divorce was terrified to do so there was other sort of abuse of course mixed in with the financial abuse knew that the divorce was going to be high conflict because of the personality of her spouse and went to file and had no tax return information had no checking account information had no savings account information had no i was asked to start turning in financial information for the divorce and literally had to say i know nothing and the abuse User was able to drag the divorce on forever and you know cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and still get away with not turning. It's just, and so I understand the fear, but I guess I'm excited because you're here today and we're talking more about it and we're hopefully educating people about it. So where can people go? Where can they get information to learn more about this and and find out what they can do?
1: Yeah. So we've been really fortunate uh, for the past 15 plus years. We have uh, been lucky enough to partner with the Allstate Foundation and co-authored with them uh, a curriculum specifically for survivors of domestic violence, although anybody can benefit from it. But it is a financial literacy curriculum. And all of Module 1, it's a very traditional financial literacy curriculum in that we talk about budgeting and how does credit work and banking and loans and long-term planning. What sets it apart is Module 1, which is all about what is financial abuse and how does it, how does it play out for folks? And how do you do safety planning around that? Um, because we also know there's lots of folks that can't and aren't going to leave for many, many reasons, right? How do we do safety planning in wherever you are and wherever your plans are heading towards? And then we weave that then throughout the other parts of it, through the other parts of the curriculum. So we, that's on our website. It's on the Allstate Foundation's website. It's called the Moving Ahead Financial Literacy Curriculum. So that would be one place to look. I think if you're thinking about trying to figure out, does this fit for me? Um, One thing I always encourage anybody to think about, but advocates and survivors is to contextualize behavior what what is scary to one may not be to the other it's about uh so, so as an advocate's definition of domestic violence is a pattern of coercive behavior you to intimidate and threaten a current or former partner so if i an example i often use is if my partner and i are sitting down and we're paying bills on wednesday night and we are disagreeing about who pay who we're paying what and when and my partner gets out his handgun and begins to clean it. is that abuse well it could be it depends right it depends on our relationship maybe that's what we do on wednesdays we pay bills and are clean our handguns right maybe that's what we do it doesn't it was not intimidating to me it was not meant to be intimidating to me and it wasn't but if last time this happened and he got his handgun out he hit me over the head with it and hurt me in front of my kid and then went on to brutalize me then that means something different. It is. So it's it's about contextualizing the behavior. So we have to ask survivors, what did the behavior mean to you? What was the intent of the behavior? So you can't say to a survivor, well, do you have access to the money, all the money you need, or do you know where everything's spent? Well, maybe not because that's the agreement we have because I tend to overspend and and we all know this and we accept it, so I get an allowance. And
0: this is how we roll, right? But I'm not afraid to ask questions. Right, right. That's the difference. It is, it is. And uh, just to paint another story of, of uh, again, another client I know, it was it was as subtle as this, to your point, she had paid the handyman $300. The spouse came home and said, what do you mean you paid the handyman $300? Well, we owed him the money and he needs it. you know, now, you know, you're not supposed to pay the handyman out of that account. What are you doing? Well, I really wanted to pay the hand, you know, you're not supposed to pay the hand fist slammed on the counter silent treatment for the next two days. So it's so hard to go to, I think someone and go, well, he didn't talk to me for two days after I paid the handyman. Well, is that really a big deal? Well it is because when you extrapolate that out, kind of to your point, to the next time she wants to do something as simple as pay the handyman. And now so there's going to be, you know, Slamming hands on the counter, you're not going to be spoke to for the next two days. He disappeared that night for a few hours, didn't know where he was, and so you're right. You have to really take it into context, you know, as the person listening to this as well. I, you know, I'm afraid sometimes the abused is worried they're going to sound like the crazy one.
1: Well, that's a set. They're gaslighters. They're gaslighters. Abusers lighters. are gaslighters. So it's a setup. It's set up to make you feel crazy because you are living in a crazy making situation, which adult people are put in a one down position with another person who should be their peer
0: hmm hmm Absolutely. Um, so getting more specific with how to prepare, and we were kind of talking about earlier, I want to say knowledge is power. To those out there that maybe could start to, and I want to put this in the context maybe of being afraid of your spouse, okay? So you're afraid that you're afraid they're going to find out that you're collecting information. If you could start though to try to pay attention to the bills that come in and please chime in on this if you could start to maybe make um, if you're afraid to sort of take your passport, maybe take a photo of it and send that photo to a friend and then you can delete it from your phone what are some things and what are some documents that you would suggest that people start to collect to sort of A, educate themselves on their financial situation but B sort of storehouse information. in case. Yeah.
1: So one thing I wanted to make sure people clearly understand and hear me say is that we know statistically uh, whenever survivors of domestic violence make an act of independence, like telling a friend, like starting to collect information, like applying for schooling, but any act of independence, because that's what domestic violence is about. It's about power and control. That's at the core of it. Not drugs and alcohol, not anger management, power and control. One person wanting power and control over another. So when that control or power is challenged by the other person's act of independence, their lethality rate increases by seven times. So their risk of dying increases, which is real. You will find that when most of the time when they do a post-mortem on a domestic violence survivor, that there has been some sort of act of independence, like a protection order filed mm. or an attempt to leave or told a family member. So be aware of that. And that is real. Sure. So everything needs to be done with, and then what's the plan if it's found out? So that, you have to start with that. So what's my plan? Have a backup idea Okay. how you can explain it. So I think taking pictures is a great idea with the availability of cell phones. There are some picture vaults you can download. You can download some vaults that are hidden apps that, um, are not clear that that's what they are, you, so that you can hide them. Sometimes insurance companies will let you do it a cloud um, place to save documents or save pictures of things that are uh, valuable, like a picture of your motorcycle or a collectible or whatever, and you can save it to an insurance photo vault. Um, some courthouses actually let you do some evidence collection, saving uh, using photos, um, but anytime you can take pictures, that can be helpful. Tax returns, check stubs, benefits
0: information, that can always be helpful. Sure, and now you had listed on, um, or, or the NNEDV has on the website, a tool called DocuSafe. Can you talk about that, yes. that specific
1: tool? And I'll tell you what I know about it, which is not a lot, so I'm embarrassed to say that, but please look it up on our Safety Net team uh, website. Sure. So yeah, that is something that um, the Safety Net team has developed, and it's a place that survivors of domestic violence can download that, and it's a place to keep evidence that can be used later in court. So they can take pictures of documents or um, screenshot text messages, things like that, threats, things. um, So they can save that all there. And then it's admissible in court. So those are places that survivors
0: can use. And Um, and again, the website for you guys is nnedv.org.
1: Yep. NNEDV.org, so National Network to End Domestic Violence.org. Um, you can visit our safety net team or safety net project, which is all about how technology is used by um, both abusers and survivors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so get more information about that. They also have a safety net app that, that you can download if you're an advocate. Um, we have our um, point in time count where we share information about in one day in the US. Who all was served in shelters across the country, and what services were we unable to provide due to lack of resources? Um, information on our project, the Economic Justice Team, and our Independence Project, which is a um, we do credit building through micro lending with survivors. So we offer $100 no fee, no interest loans to survivors of domestic violence That's helped them yeah. rebuild the credit. Um, so we got lots of cool stuff. We also have a Women's Law Project, which is allows um, survivors and advocates to ask attorney ask our attorneys questions, um, and we answer it back in plain English, as well as reference their state information information.
0: It's answered in Spanish and English. So it's an email hotline that survivors can go to. That's fantastic. Okay. And I really love the idea of the microloan independence project, because let, let me um, divert to this topic for a moment. The effects of financial abuse can be last a long time and be devastating. So what are some of the effects? That, because we all know, you know how it's controlling and scary in the moment in the relationship, but for those considering maybe leaving or just kind of, you know, starting to get up the courage or gather the information on what they need to do um, to be safe to leave, it's one thing, but the, if, you know, if it continues for a long time, it can really affect that person's future. So what are some of the things that could affect in their future? That's after-
1: a really good point. And that's what we actually hear from survivors is that we were, we were a middle-class family, but after years and years of this violence, I, I, we're, I'm, I'm living in poverty because um, I'm fighting him every day or he's stealing money all the time or whatever. This, you know, after I've left, I was middle class and now I'm I'm struggling to make my ends meet because I'm having to fight in court and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, certainly we know that's a huge issue. Ruined credit, I think, is a is a great example of the long-term effects. So, and, and I think it's important to note too that the industry itself is so rapidly changing. So credit industry is bananas. The way my grandparents used credit is completely different than how I use credit. You know, my grandparents, they took out a loan for maybe, 50% of their farm and they paid it off in 10 years, you know, so then how we even take out loans and, you know, they they used a credit card once every five years to buy a plane ticket, you know, those kinds of things where we use credit and debit and, you know, we're swiping all the time. So so see this industry that's just ballooned and so we're all participating in it, but not in very informed ways, right? So that's part of the challenge too. Um, And so we see that play out for a lot for survivors is that they've got ruined credit. Um, So their uh, partner knew enough about them to take a line of credit under their name they never knew about or they did sign off on on debt because they're married and so they signed off on it Um, or because they're married it's now considered part of their debt so we're seeing folks that leave who have just decimated credit so they have they can't get an apartment more and more rentals do credit checks sure and so we're seeing that um, cute and we see it one of two ways it's really interesting we see most survivors they either say I had no credit my name he let nothing be in my name so I have zero credit or everything was in my name.
0: Yes. I hold all the debt. Yes. It's so true. And, and just understanding financial abuse and trying to wrap arms around it. First of all, I think a lot of people think of elder abuse, which is very serious. Um, but I feel like it's just a new term, just entering society in terms of us understanding it in a context of relationship or marriage. But with that being said, your point is so well taken. The, one of the first steps, again, knowledge is power, is try to get a copy of your credit report. Get what your number is. Um, Equifax, TransUnion will give you a more detailed report. So it will say on this date, right, a credit card was taken out. And you can say, I don't have that credit card. So you can start to get some education, not only on what your credit score is, but about it. I think also, again, in the context of divorce, one thing I really encourage people to do is get a title report on your house. I have a client who lived in her home with her spouse and children for 12 years. She got the title report. Her name's not on title. Her name wasn't on there anywhere. Her spouse had deliberately put papers in front of her weeks after they had a new baby and said, sign here, sign here. Yes, we're buying the house together. The house was not in her name because lots of times in law, they'll say, well, you know what? You bought the house together. It's it's yours. So that little trick isn't going to work. The quick claim deed signed the house over to him. She said, I never would have done that. So get, get all of this information up front and try to educate yourself on what's going on with your credit report and- yep. Anybody out there listening, get the title on your house? Um, and again, I please be careful, as you stated, because it's going to be obviously considered an act of you know independence um, that you're trying to do that. So anything you can do to brainstorm and call the hotlines. Mm-hmm. I think with financial abuse you have a victim going okay so i admit i am intimidated i'm you know i am scared of my spouse i don't know anything about our information when i ask i'm you know belittled or put down or told i'm not going to understand it and i'm stupid so i have fear around that but do i really need to call the violence hotline i mean he's not hitting me and so chime in and, and help people understand the yeah. You don't have to
1: be in crisis to reach out and c- talk to an advocate. You can call the hotline. You can call your local domestic violence program. You can call them during the day. You don't have to call them at, you know, 2 a.m. when you are scared, And that, but it's okay to call then too. Mm-hmm. But um, it's okay to call and say, I, I'm not being physically hurt right now. Uh, I'm not afraid for my physical safety, but I um, I feel like I've got some red flags and I want to talk it through with somebody and more than like, I mean, these are all new times. So we're doing lots of things. Tella, normally on any other time in our world, we'd go meet you for coffee somewhere probably, and just have a very comfortable chat with you. Um, things are different now, obviously. Um, so we're doing a lot more remote and we're gotten better at it. So, um, that's what they're there for. You don't need to wait till you're in crisis. You can just bounce things off of them and check in with them. Um, that's what they're there for.
0: Absolutely. And I did, that's, it's just so important because they will give you ideas like how to collect information and be safe. They're the experts on this and it's, yeah. it is abuse. And so again, I just really want to stress that since you and I are both so, so passionate about this. Um, just some other things along the lines of collecting information. Um, yeah. And actually let's move into, so you've left. Let's say that that we have somebody who has successfully left. Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So let me just say right before, if you are considering leaving and you're getting ready to leave, I just want to say, take at least half of any funds available. If it is safe to do so, take at least half of any jointly held funds. If you have kids, I would suggest you take closer to three-fourths of anything that's in a jointly held fund. Here's what I can tell you. Um. I've talked to a lot of survivors who say they feel bad about that. They don't feel comfortable with it because they feel like it feels mean, and I get it. Here's the thing. What we have learned, and I've been doing this 30 years, is that if you don't, it's a very good chance it'll be drained the next day, and you won't have access to it. So we're not asking you to steal the money. We're asking you to hold it Mm -hmm. and account for it. So wherever, if you do take the funds and you spend it, just note where you spent it because you may be asked to uh, account for it later in court. So, you're going to just say, I paid the kids a school fees, I paid for lunches, I, you know, these things, you're going to know, you're not stealing the money and going on a trip to Tahiti, probably, right? You're doing household expenses. So, if that is the responsible thing that any court of law would, would say is a reasonable thing to do. I worry that if you don't, it will be gone and you will not have that resource. So, just a heads up. Um, so, So, something to consider. The next thing I would do is to look at what names your what, what accounts your names are on. Mm. Um, so um, if you are taking money out of a jointly held account, open up a different account with just your name, even consider putting it at a different institution. Um, there's some really good online options as well. You know, many of us use Venmo and PayPal and things like that. If that's not tied to a jointly held account, that can be actually a really good place to sort of store and stash money is to let it sit in your Venmo or PayPal account. So uh, again, something to think about, just keep, a, keep, be aware of where that account is tied to, because most of the time they are tied to then an actual bank account. So something to think about. And we're using that more around safety planning now too. So if a family member gives somebody money, they just hang on to it in their Venmo account until they need it and then they pull it out. Um, so that's some things I would think I would encourage people to um, think about. Um, and then I, I getting a copy of your report, your your um, credit report, find out what lines of credit you may not be aware of have been taken out in your name. If you find that there's been a line of credit taken out in your name you were unaware of, challenge it. Mm-hmm. You can challenge it most of the time right online. They have to prove that the debt is yours um, and that it was your signature and they have to have the paperwork that follows it. So challenge all of those things. But know what your credit score is and know what's on your report is
0: a really good next move absolutely um, also opening a safe deposit box great thing to do so that you have a safe place to put it um, and change your passwords and pin codes and everything asap right yes
1: um, very quickly do that, um, you know, you're not with somebody for very long before you can usually figure out what they use and they use it pretty universally. So there's some really good apps out there that help you do some complex um, password changes and we'll store that for you. So use those systems or um, there's some other really good techniques where you have a middle that's the same and you bookend it based on where you're at and things like that with websites and stuff. So there's some really
0: good techniques to think of. Absolutely. And along those lines too, um, changing beneficiary names even- Even on, on insurance or 401ks. Uh, I know that's something, again, speaking with a client the other day, she's a year out of divorce and we were discussing that. She said, oh my gosh, yes, my ex-spouse is still on my 401k. I'll be right back. So, you know, yeah, just, you know, right away, make sure that if something does happen to you, those monies, those insurance, you know, God forbid, but, you know, are going to the people that, that, you know, in your life. Then. Yeah.
1: Well, and if you all agree too, I mean, and, and you know, my guess is that in, in even some of the toughest relationships, there's, there's cycles where things are, you can manage with each other, and then there are times where you're not managing it. So at the t- when you're on the upside of that, that might be a good time to talk about making sure you've got um, paid upon death uh, on all your accounts say I, I put it on my savings account that upon death that the kids get paid out on these accounts and that can you please do the same and, and you're just saying I want it to go to the kids if something happens to you that allows the children
0: to at least access your bank accounts easily so good idea all right well again Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast out of crazy town you use the word <laughs> you know, crazy so much. And I always like to explain to my guests, the reason that I chose the name for this podcast is that I say, when you're in a relationship or a marriage with, unfortunately with somebody who is um, exacting this kind of abuse, it, it is like li- living in crazy town and they're used to it. They've Built a home there, they have an address in crazy You're the mayor they 're the mayor, they like it you 're forced to live there you don 't want to, and so we 're here to help you get out <laughs> of crazy town and um, but it 's true and I, I, again, financial abuse is near and dear to my heart. I think that we don 't know enough, and um, it 's it's used so often in abusive relationships, as you mentioned yeah. and it 's the reason that people um, unfortunately the victims have to stay lots of time yeah
1: well, and I just also want to say to all the women out there. I, you know, I just encourage us all to take control of our financial world. It is one of the most badass things we can do for ourselves and for our future and for our children is to take control of our money and finances. Money's power, whether we like it or not. And we, it allows us to put our money and power behind things that we believe in when we take control of it.
0: Absolutely. And I think once that you've learned about your finance, it takes the fear away because um, mm-hmm. the unknown is one of the biggest fears there is, right? So even if your situation is not good, understanding what it is will help you sleep at night because then you can make a plan to move forward. But you have to understand your situation first. And there are so many of us out there that want to help you understand it now and create a plan moving forward. And yes, educate your kids. Yeah. One last thing I always ask of all of my guests. For people out there that really need some hope and know that this is going to be a long and hard journey, what is something they have to look forward to when they get to the other side?
1: The, the, the pit in your stomach is better. Um, I think for many of us, we don't realize until we're on the other side of it, how anxiety producing this all is, and when you're on the other space of it, the other, the other side of that, um, it's, it doesn't mean you don't have hard days. It doesn't mean you don't have tough days that still make you cry. But it, the anticipation it feels very different. And it's all yours. You control it. When you are in the middle of this, you control none of it. And um, that's not a good feeling. And it's not how any adult should have to feel. But there's another side of it. And you'll realize, oh, my stomach doesn't hurt the same way. That's a good feeling.
0: It's so true. You're a, a, So many people are in fight or flight mode for so long and they don't even realize it anymore. And yes, when you've resu- removed that huge anxiety piece, and I always tell them the mental space that opens up is incredible. Um, women that were like, well, I, you know, I, I was so stressed out all the time. I couldn't get a job. I wanted to. I'm a smart person. I have a degree. You know, I've been a stay at home mom for a long time, but the thought of getting a job was so overwhelming. And then they leave and they think, that's why it was overwhelming. The things I was, the fear I was dealing with on a daily basis, I would say was taking up too much Ram. Like when you have too many windows open on your yeah. computer and it won't run properly. Yeah. And when you remove that, all of you said know, all these possibilities open up, you know, they have, you know, all this energy to not only take on, on a job, but thrive at it, you yeah. know, at it and create this new life. So I think that that's, that's a great thing um, yeah. to, hope, to have hope for. So
1: yeah. Thanks. I just want to say I, and just this one last thing is, you know, I'm I'm raising teenage kids now. I've got a seventeen year old daughter and a fifteen year old son. And I, you know, I I have come to realize in doing this work now, as having kids in this work and all that stuff, that doing this work doesn't guarantee her safety. Right. I, I can do this all day long and I can't guarantee that my daughter's gonna be safe or that my son's gonna be safe. But I wanna create a world that when and if it becomes unsafe, they're prepared to embrace them and that's what we're all doing is we're, we're just open arms ready to take on you know a friend that needs a hug or needs help hiding money or a, an ear to listen to or whatever that looks like that's what this is all about is creating that community that's ready to embrace the next person that needs us.
0: That is so well said. Thank you so much Kim. Kim Pentico, thank you. Thank you, Director of Economic Justice, National Network to End Domestic Violence. Please visit the website at nnedv.org as Kim mentioned there's a lot of awesome resources and um, hotline numbers for you to call and, and all kinds of stuff. So I really appreciate you helping me get the word out about financial abuse and maybe thanks. we'll have you on again in the future if you would. I would love it. Have you back. Okay, thanks again, Kim. Thanks, Jackie. Take care.